0: back to Jake's World, episode 22 of Jake's World. Today is Tuesday, July 7th. Hope you had a good 4th of July weekend. You know, stayed safe, didn't go to vast crowds of people and, you know, played it smart, but had fun too. You Don't want to spend the whole summer inside just because well, you'll drive yourself bonkers, but you can't go anywhere and see all kinds of people too. It's a weird place, but I don't know. The lake seemed like the best place to be. It's where I was this weekend up in the middle of the boonies, central Wisconsin. Had a good time. Bad weekend to be a beer. Had a lot of beers. Licking the wounds a little bit, but had some vacation days and took a couple. Had a little bit of extra fun in Madison this weekend, in the area this weekend. I will say, before I get into th- today's show, it's not going to be a terribly long one. It's going to be a little compact. I'm going to talk about a few things. Talk about the good, bad, the ugly. Watch that Sunday night. It sucks when you have a vacation, like not in school, right, or you know, you're in high school. You get Christmas break, or you're in college, and you get winter break the whole year and a half or year and a half month and a half off of school Then you go back for the second semester vacations as a functional adult are much worse than when you're in school because it's like your problems or your responsibilities don't go away and most of the time you take a vacation you feel obligated to do things and have fun right you go travel you have fun and Do a bunch of activities, and you live irresponsibly, you don't eat right, you don't exercise, things like that. You usually go back to work, you know, three, four, five days later, more exhausted than when you left. And it's like, shit. Sober scaries are the worst, and I have them today. I'm not hungover or anything. It's like, oh, man, I got to go back to work. Luckily, it's a short week. But then next week's going to feel really, really, really miserable. But I'm not complaining. I'm just saying. So hope you all had a good weekend. And my summer of George takes still lives on. We just have to be a little bit more innovative. And it seems like this summer wasn't, you know, George's plan. It was the result of, you know, him falling down the stairs and breaking both both of his legs and having to relearn how to walk. If you still haven't watched Seinfeld, you need to get onto that. Okay, and I did predict accurately last time that I would fall apart and not live up to my obligation to get a pot out last time. And this time, I'm a little late. But we gotta start somewhere, clean slate, so let's get it. I was checking the Twitter feed this morning, right? And um, I'm not gonna go on a terrible rant about this. It's gonna be pretty quick. But I think I've alluded to this before Back when coronavirus started and a lot of the world's leading business people were donating sums of money to the cause. Whether it would be to buy masks or ventilators or hospital beds, whatever the case may be. Millions and millions and millions of dollars are being funded into this thing. right? And I'm not trying to say how the government handled it was good or bad or people doing whatever. I'm trying to stay indifferent to that. There is just a... there is a movement that I see everywhere where we talk about people with billions of dollars and how they could suddenly, with the snap of their fingers, solve all the world's problems. This morning was Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos is worth over $150 billion. Now, let's think about it this way. I think we get lost in the fact that You look at the FDIC, right? That is an institution of our government that insures, I'm not sure what the acronym stands for off the top of my head, but it insures that your personal bank account is insured up to $250,000 per account you have. And I think we kind of forget the fact that just because he's worth $166 billion, that he has 400,000 bank accounts that he has $250,000 in. That's not how billionaires work. Bezos has investments everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. A small fraction of that's in cash. And he doesn't have a bank account number with one six six zero 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 0 0 in it. And he's not entitled to solve all the world's problems. We have a sense of entitlement in this country, and it's a problem. And it's gotten worse as this lockdown started, because now we need things to talk about. And, you know, these social movements are starting, which they're not bad. But there needs to be a voice of reason. Let me be that voice of reason. Those guys give away hundreds of millions of dollars every year. They make the world a better place just because they had a brilliant idea and took advantage of their circumstances and were given the opportunity that everyone in America has. That's not debate. Everyone has an opportunity. You have to make it sometimes. Not everyone has the equal access to that opportunity. And that's where I feel the problems come in. But everyone has a chance to do things. You don't have to be hand over fist, billionaire. That's not the American dream. The American dream is living a lifestyle of your choosing to your degree, your happiness. That's what it's meant to be. And we, as in the people, average people, have the tendency to be like, oh, he could solve all the world's problems if he just gave up some of his money, or why can't we get some of that money when he needs it all? That's not how it should work. I'm so sick of seeing people be like, oh, he could, if he just did that or paid his workers better, there wouldn't be any problems. Yes, there would still be fucking problems. Get off your ass and do something. You're not entitled to that. That's not yours. You didn't do anything for that. I don't care what happiness levels in socialist countries are. I don't think that other people should be benefit beneficiaries to somebody else making progress in their business life, their personal life, their financial life. That shouldn't be shared if you're not willing to put in the work for it. Everyone can make money different ways. We have the internet and it's literally... It's literally an open playing field. If you think the right way and you promote your whatever you want to do the right way and you find a network and a strategy that works for you, you can do it. You have to put in the work. It's not easy. Look at a guy like Mark Cuban. He owns the Dallas Mavericks. He's worth like $5, $10 billion. He's on Shark Tank, all that. He's got money everywhere, right? That guy owned a bar when he was in college and he lost it. He like for a stretch of time was eating like ketchup and bread sandwiches to survive because he was dumping all of his money into his business and trying to grow his brand, his company. And failure is such a huge component of learning and getting over hurdles and we forget that. We just want, we want the ideal life without the ideal work because we don't see the ideal work and social media makes that hard to see. Because social media is fake. And I think we look at other people's lives based on their Instagram posts way too much. Oh, they go in and travel and do this. They have a big house. They have a fancy car. They're always having fun. And we don't realize what else is going on in that picture. Look at Rob Gronkowski. The guy's a party animal. He's a work hard, play hard guy. He plays pro football. and. He's living his best life, but he doesn't. He actually—that's—he's kind of a bad example because he does show a case himself putting in work. Everyone works hard for that, unless you're Dan area and you're a trust fund baby. But even then, it's like he could have blown through all of his money, and he has to find a way to generate that to sustain himself. And he does. He has a apparel line and whatever else he does i don't know but we get so caught up on the niceties of life and the luxuries of life that we don't see what goes on behind the scene because posting about you spending hours you know reading books and studying finance investments and networking and hustling does that's not appealing Sipping a daiquiri on the beach is appealing, and then your light count blows up. But you could do the opposite and show all the things that work hard, that like, you know, you need to put in the work to achieve, and that doesn't get any attention, because that's not appealing, and we forget that. I'm not jealous of people who've made their money. I'm jealous because I don't know how to do that, and I haven't figured that out for myself yet. We need to remember that. They earned that. They did. They put in the work. No one else is entitled to that. I don't think that's fair. Why should someone else reap the benefits of something that someone else did? They're not willing to do it. Why should they be a beneficiary to that? That's how I feel. If If you don't like that, well, too fucking bad. I don't think this country should shy away from that. Now, there's problems in capitalism, of course, and we should work on addressing those to the best of our abilities. But money isn't just taking money from the top 1% and giving it to everyone else isn't going to solve anything. It's just not. Everyone has to make their own way in life in this country. Don't be a sheep. Don't listen to what the news tells, tells you to do. Don't be bound to a societal structure where you have to go to college and get a job and then expect to be rich beyond your wildest dreams because that's not going to work. You have to find your own way to do it. And finding your own way isn't complaining about how others did it and expecting you know, change because you're too lazy to go out and get it yourself. That's the end of my rant there. A week or two ago, this is kind of going to be you know, TV movie based the rest of the way out. I saw a post on Twitter or somewhere about an HBO television series bracket, right? Now, I love HBO. When I moved into the apartment here, I got it free for a year because of the cable company. I called a little bit late to get my cable installed, and I had to wait like three weeks, and they were like, yo, we'll throw in HBO go. for a year or Go HBO Go. Free for a year for you. I'm like, oh, decent. I can watch Sopranos. I can watch Game of Thrones whenever I want. Cool. So, naturally, I'm intrigued at this list. And HBO has a track record of being some of the best content creators in the TV space ever. I looked at this bracket, which I'm going to run through. And, quite frankly, I was appalled. Now, let me pull it up. I'm going to run through... Each television show, miniseries, whatever. They did it like uh, tournament style, bracket style. And I think they picked 64. I mean, that's going to be my guess, but I'll run through some of them. On the left side of this picture, I screenshotted from wherever I got it from. You have, I don't even know what that one is. I'll go through some of the big ones, I guess, like The Wire um Big Little Lies, Band of Brothers, Pacific, Barry. Um, keep reading Secession, it's a new HBO show. Curb Your Curb, curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, Young Pope, New Pope, Deadwood, Westworld. Uh that's on one side. There's like 32 there. I kind of just skimmed through them. I didn't read them all. Some of them I don't even know what they are. Game of Thrones, of course, Euphoria, um, Boardwalk Empire Watchmen Which is only one season So get into that Sex and the City It's an older sitcom Entourage um, Chernobyl um, The Sopranos Oz True Detective Ballers Silicon Valley Okay You have shows like that They're all pretty good TV shows And they did it like a single elimination tournament now, I want to focus on the top 16 here. Whoever did this, this is according to Rotten Tomatoes, which um, I've seen really bad movies get like 75% rotten or certified fresh. I think that's how Rotten Tomatoes works. It's based on favorable reviews. Sure, Noble. I only watched the first episode and I'm meaning to get to that, finish that. It's really good. Gives you an inside look of the 1986 Chernobyl nuclear power plant disaster in um, Pripyat, Ukraine. Old Soviet Union. It's a dramatization and it's well done. It came out last summer or last May or June, something like that. Really good. It was hyped up. And they did a good job of producing that would you call it mini series there's four episodes so but it's paired up against the sopranos and it won what the final four was the wire Westworld Chernobyl and Game of Thrones two of those, belong in there. Westworld and Chernobyl are not two of them. This is not up for debate. This is not exclusive to this HBO series list. The best four TV shows, at least for the top two, the best four television shows in this bracket are In This Order, The Sopranos, Game of Thrones, The Wire, and curb your enthusiasm. Now well, curb's not a brilliantly witty story written. You know, he's, it's it's a comedy. It's a sitcom. The wire's fantastic. I'm in the I'm at the end of season four right now. I watched three episodes before doing this, and that's kind of what got me going again about this list. I've seen. All of Game of Thrones twice, many episodes, multiple times. I've ran through The Sopranos twice. The Sopranos is the best television show of all time. That is not up for debate. It is not. Game of Thrones was on pace to do that, except it was a niche audience fantasy TV show with brilliant writing and character development and plot and all that. And they botched the last two seasons because they could not keep up with the originality that they had to do going beyond the books that the series was based upon. But it's still very, very good. Season 8 was a dud, but I'm not going to take away from the brilliance that seasons 1 through 6 were. It was a fantastic television show. Anyone who's like, oh, I'm a Game of Thrones snob, I'm not into it. Don't say the show fucking sucks because it doesn't. Just say that ain't me. It's the same thing with gangsters. A lot of people don't like mobster stuff. I love mobster movies: Goodfellas, Casino, The Godfather. Um, missing the what's another Taxi? There's a ton of mob-style movies. The Sopranos is drawn from all of that. David Chase is one of the best television writers we've ever seen. And you're telling me Westworld, which I've heard is very, very good, it's only done three seasons, and it's very strange. I need to try it. I'm not saying it's bad, I've heard very good things about it. You're telling me that makes your top four? Sure, Noble, a four episode miniseries, beats out Sopranos, critically regarded not by just me, but by most people who've actually watched good TV to be the best television show of all time James Gandolfini was born to play Tony Soprano no one else could have done it like that I got a poster up in my apartment and all four of them are on there all four or five of the main characters Paulie Walnuts Silvio Dante Christopher Moltisanti Christopher Big Pussy Tony Soprano. They're all up there. There's a reason why they're up on this poster. With all of the best mobsters in cinema. Because it's meant to be up there. And you're telling me. That this show gets knocked out. In the 16th round. The sweet 16 of HBO shows. Please. This writer should be fired. That's a fucking joke. And if you have access to HBO Max. You need to watch Sopranos. It needs to be whatever you're on. I don't care if you're. I don't even know what kind of petty television most people watch. If you're like... I don't even know. If you're in the middle of Grey's Anatomy, you need to fucking pause it. And you need to watch Sopranos to actually watch good television. It's incredible. Edie Falco's in all kinds of shit. And she plays Tony's wife. And no one knows it. Tony. That's what she put was put on the map for. And it's the same thing with so many of those Game of Thrones characters, too. Like, you see inside documentary-style talking from a lot of them, and they're like, they the actors who you know auditioned for this role or were asked to audition for this these roles in the show, like, turn their nose up at it, and they're like, fantasy show? Yeah, that's never worked before. And look at it. The only thing that's been even more successful in that type of genre was... Harry Potter, which is more, it's different, it's wizardry, it's magic stuff, but like the medieval style kind of fantasy magic mix stuff in there, whatever, was Lord of the Rings and that's immensely popular based on books as well and it's the same thing with Game of Thrones. George R. R. Martin is a fantastic writer, those he just, I think they just ran out of script. That show didn't even win. Like, I'm going to double check, but, like, (laughs) that won that side of the bracket. And, oh, they had two. They didn't even pick a winner. It was Westworld and Game of Thrones. What? If this is based on Rotten Tomato compilings, whoever made this picture and took the time to do this bracket should be fucking canceled. Because that's a joke. I'm a TV and movie snob. Out of everyone I know, there's only a few others who've got an opinion that I value more than mine when it comes to TV and movies. That's a dud. Now, my moral of this second little rant I did, watch Sopranos, watch Game of Thrones, watch The Wire, The Wire especially, because it gives you an inside look of life in big cities especially with everything going on now and it's eye-opening but things like this happen even today and this show's 10 15 years old it's pretty jarring and it's well done it's well written you need to pay attention to it season two of that show the wire not very well liked i love it i thought it was it's good it's all good Guys, I mentioned this before. You watch TV. We're kind of, a lot of us are back under, you know, stay-at-home thing or working from home or whatever. You need to expose yourself to good, th- good culture, good things. Don't watch the same mindless things over and over again. And don't play on your phone all day and surround yourself with the same comfort. Try something new. The best TV show ever, The Sopranos. Try yourself to this, too. Hopefully, you watched my movie recommendation from last week. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Now, before I get into it, I kind of did not remember the Civil War part of the storyline in this movie. And with everything going on, that probably wasn't the best choice. But I, I, unlike many of us, can separate, you know works of art from what's going on in our country today and this movie better not go anywhere because it is the best western that was ever made. Let's get into it. The Good, the Bad and the Ugly. This TV or this movie series put or movie trilogy put Clint Eastwood on the map. A lot of us remember Clint Eastwood as a crotchety old man who doesn't like Jap or Asian people in Gran Torino. We think of him as a grumpy old racist guy Who's get off my lawn And the guy who is a drug runner At 85 years old and the mule And does all of these movies now But it was so different 50 years ago 60 years ago Clint Eastwood has been in Hollywood a long time And that is where he got his start Were in spaghetti westerns Sergio Leone directed the Dollars Trilogy. Three films, a little bit out of order. Fistful of Dollars, For a Few Dollars More, and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which is the first of the movies made last. It takes place before. Now, it's ba- this movie, this plot's a little strange because it's like this interconnected... Um, Like, three lives cross paths in pursuit of money, right? That's what they do. Clint Eastwood is the good. He does this thing where he's essentially a bounty hunter, right? He'll go town to town, county to county, and he'll collect bandits or cowboys or who have criminals who have bounties on their head, and he'll turn them into the local constable or marshal, I think, one of the two you... The sheriff in the town. He collects the bounty. And when time comes to take them to the gallows. He shoots the noose out. Shoots all the hats off of the townspeople. And how they hung people back in the day. They'd shoot a gun. And the horse would go flying. Without the rider on it. Because he's got a noose tied to his head. Clint Eastwood shoots out the rope. And the horse runs with the criminal on it. And that's what he'd do. He'd go down a to town and turn these people in over and over. He'd take a share of the cut, right? He runs into Tuco. It's this Mexican guy. That's not important, but he's got a $2,000 bounty on his head. In the 1860s, That's a sum of money. And they do the scamming for a little bit until one day Clint Eastwood's like, "Uh, we're not doing this anymore. So he kind of leaves him for dead in the desert. And Tuco manages, he's the ugly, by the way. That's his nickname in the movie. He manages to find his way back to town and he gets his strength back. And now his goal is to get revenge on Blondie, the good Clint Eastwood. And then it's kind of like, the opposite situation happens like Clint Eastwood's about to do another bounty thing but Chuko catches him and then they execute the guy on accident and then he like Blondie gets captured and has to go through the desert no water with the ugly tormenting him the whole time now in the meantime the movie starts with Angelizes his name in the movie, The Bad. He is pursuing a treasure that is buried in a cemetery under a grave that we don't know about. There's $200,000 in a chest, or in bags, buried in some person's grave in a cemetery. I assume this movie takes place in Texas. They don't give you a ton of details. I think the ambiguity of the movie... Ambiguity, sorry, kind of gives a timeless piece to the movie. You can apply it to different settings and it seems a little more timeless when you don't put a name and a place and a date on things. you got to contextualize a little bit. Now, Angel Eyes is looking for a person named Bill Carson. Now, from the way the movie is filmed, I'm not sure if the Civil War is still going on or if the war is over and the Union is trying to catch the remnant of the, the Confederate Army but Bill Carson serves in for the South and he knows the location of this grave in the cemetery and Angel Eyes is trying to track him down and he's you know running into anyone with information on him and killing anyone who gets in his way three lives cross paths because Tuco and Angel Eyes know each other their paths cross but it's because Bill Carson is killed fleeing the army or fleeing the Union essentially whatever and while Tuco and Blondie are stumbling through the desert they run into his stagecoach and Clint Eastwood is like, he's dying of thirst, and Tuco intends on leaving him for dead. But Tuco's like, oh, that's Bill Carson. He's like, oh, the money, the money. He's like, give me water, and I'll tell you where the money is. And he goes up to get water. Blondie finds a way to get the information of where the grave is from, or where the grave is, while Tuco before he went to get water, found out where the cemetery was. So they both know a piece of the information, and they need each other alive in order to find this goal. And you can tell they like want to cross each other, but whatever. Now, Angel Eyes disguises himself as a, a captain or a sergeant at a POW camp, wherever this takes place. 'Cause he knows Bill Carson is a rebel soldier, and if the Union can capture him, he can get some information. Blondie and Tuco get captured, and now they're three they their three paths intertwined. They break out, or Blondie goes with Angel Eyes to tell him where the cemetery is, and then they'll find it. Tuco escapes from the prison or off the train, you know, being moved somewhere else, and they all meet up again, or Blondie and Tuco meet up again, and Angel Eyes got a bunch of other guys with him in this um, abandoned town where, you know, the war is still being fought, or battles are being fought, and they manage to escape, they kill off all the other men and they go pursue the gold. The Ecstasy of Gold is the song that's used in, you know, this final, little final scene. And they're looking for the grave, right? Or, it's the movie says that the gold is buried in the grave of Archie Bradley, I think his name is. Or Arch Stan or something like that. They're digging up the grave. And nothing's in there after they open it angel eyes comes back and he's like you're not going to help dig? I ain't digging there's nothing in there and then they're like well what are we going to do? He's like let's settle the score. Clint Eastwood grabs a rock and there's like a um, like an amphitheater style center to this cemetery. It's all rock. It's a big circle right? It's where they do a ceremony or whatever and they duel like a Mexican standoff except I don't I think that's what they called it back then, and the it's different. They duel. The winner will know the name of the grave. He gets the gold. Blondie wins. Blondie unloaded Tuco's gun the night before. Angel Eyes was too slow. They split the gold. One rides off. It's funny because at the end of the movie, it seems like Blondie's going to execute Tuco, and it doesn't happen. Leaves him there. Just like old times. Shoots the, shoots the rope, and he's got to fend for himself. And... <coughs> excuse me. Um, I love Westerns. A lot of people don't. They're slow. They're you know, not a ton of action into them. They're better written new westerns are a little better with incorporating an actual moving plot with western themes but westerns you know before 1970 a lot different even I mean Clint Eastwood has been doing westerns for I think the last one he did was The Unforgiven in 1991 with Gene Hackman and himself but westerns are totally different now like um Kevin Costner and Rob Duvall were in one. What was that one called? Uh, Shit. um, Open Range. Um, Tombstone's a good one from the 90s. But this one takes the cake because it's a long one. It's three hours long, but the story is good. It takes a long time to develop just because those movies are a little slower. But it's laced with some humor in there. And the actual story of finding this gold under this unmarked grave Oh, I didn't even tell that part of the story. Blondie wins. He picks up the rock and shows Tuco. He's like, there's nothing on there. And he's like, yeah, because there's nothing on the grave, dummy. Then they go dig it up, and he's got eight fucking huge sacks of gold. But Get the gold. Secure the bag. The story goes through so many things, and it's like an odyssey tale, right? You know, the Greek myth of Odysseus, you know, after the Trojan War having to sail home and it takes him so long to actually get home because he comes across every obstacle you could think of in this fable or story to get home that's where the word odyssey comes from endless journey and that's what this was this is essentially an Odysseus style western to pursue the gold the ecstasy of gold and they get it but I want to focus on the last part of the movie because the aesthetics of this last 15 minutes of the movie, I think, I think that scene in the graveyard is the most, it's the best shot scene in all of film. I mean, he's running through the graveyard with all the music playing and you know, it's spinning around, and it's just the the visual appeal, the aesthetics are there, and even more so when the duel starts because you have the music play. That's another fantastic thing about this movie is the soundtrack. It's incredible, and I'm going to put some of the songs in the movie into the intro outro music on the podcast. It's incredible. It's just it's pleasing to the eyes and the ears to just watch this unfold because you see the three of them on the cobblestone and they all start next to each other and they all kind of slowly pace out watching the other one and then the music starts to play and then you see them all standing there in the middle and um it starts the music chimes and tunes and it changes and then the shots change you see all three of them standing there then it zooms into each one standing there and then it shows a hand like by their gun their six shooter the revolver, and then it goes back and forth between each person, and then it shows their upper half, it shows their face, it shows their eyes just moving, waiting, and it's spinning faster, it's just brilliantly shot, and then all of a sudden snap, bam, bam, that's it. That's. I think, I, there, I struggle to find scenes that are more brilliantly shot with that technology anywhere in film. It's probably, to me, the most iconic scene in all of cinema. I mean, there's plenty of famous shots, right? Um, Godfather Two when Michael kills Fredo on Lake Tahoe. Um, I mean, that's an older movie, too. But it's hard to, we think of modern movies because we have CGI, like, look at Star Wars. That's all computer-generated. You can't fabricate space or you can't duplicate space. Titanic, another one. So computer generated. And that cinematography was stunning too. The only one that comes to mind for me that is more visually appealing is Dr. Chivago, And that's a movie about... Um, it's like a Rasputin era, World War I era film set in then the Kingdom of Russia... About you know this guy's life um, you know his survival from fleeing the government or whatever, and that's a long movie and that that one the cinematography in that movie was stunning with you know the snow covered Siberia and him traversing pretty much the continent of Asia and Europe, right. There's so many other movies that you could think of that I'm struggling to find names for, but that's why they give out an Oscar for Best Cinematography every year, because it's pleasing to the eye. And the way it's shot, that's what makes that movie stand out to me. So, that one checks all the boxes. Plot, character, like their character arc. You see what each character is, how ruthless one is, how one's good at heart, what... Is weird, what they're striving for, what their goals and ambitions are. You have the cinematography, you have the music, the soundtracks also hugely important. There's a ton of good movie soundtracks out there, but it's like an Italian, like John Williams is the best at it Star Wars, Indiana Jones, whatever else he touches, it's gold. Um, I think the guy's name's like Ernie Maricone, Mar- Italy, I don't know. It's an Italian composer and The soundtrack of the movie is timeless. I mean, Metallica does an ecstasy of gold cover. So, if you didn't watch it before listening to the pod, I'm sorry because you missed out on a good opportunity to watch a really good movie. It's old. With everything going on, it might not age as well today as it should have, but I'm not going to discriminate against that. It's one of the best movies that were ever written. AFI agrees. Any list that you see of a movie collab... Ranked, It's top 10, top 15, top 20 in a genre of film that isn't very popular, especially not anymore. In the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, all of your big-name actors did westerns. John Wayne was one of the biggest movie stars there are. Humphrey Bogart at the time was huge. Gregory Peck did westerns. All these old-time actors, James Stewart, um, Burt Lancaster, all these guys did westerns. Whether it was one or two or if he was a career western actor like John Wayne or um, even I think even like guys like Glenn Ford did westerns I mean if you don't watch older movies you'll know who John Wayne is but the other guys you won't know but all the big names in Hollywood at the time acted in at least a western they were geared toward men that's why your dad watches a western every Saturday morning because they like it it's cool and they grow on you I never used to like them I do now Clint Eastwood started that way, and he propelled his career into doing movies, not not just westerns. Then he acted in movies like Where Eagles Dare, World War II films like that. Um, he loves history. He did Dirty Harry, um, Henry Callahan, all those movies. And now he directs movies, too. He stars and directs in them, and he's got a great sense of... The Outlaw Josie Wales is another fantastic Western that he directed and starred in, in the 19, 1973. That's a top five Western for me. I love that movie. It does a great job, and it's the same kind of thing. It's, it's, this movie is different from a typical Western because it's not just a revenge story. His family didn't get killed by cowboys on the ranch, you know, 20 years ago, and he has to cross the entire West to take revenge for his family or his daughter wasn't kidnapped by people you know cowboys or natives or whoever and you have to go find the local's daughter it's not like that and that's what makes this movie so timeless because the plot is a little more normal compared to westerns and it's got it checks all the boxes so if you haven't watched it give it a chance that concludes today's show. It was a little longer than I wanted it to based on what I talked about. I went on a little bit of a rant there. But I love this movie. I'm glad I was able to take you know 20 minutes and really talk about it in depth. And recommend, hey, you should watch this. Even if you don't do westerns, you don't do older movies, you don't do slower movies or love songs or whatever. You don't watch it, you need to try it. Expand your horizons. And appreciate something that's really, really timeless. So. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, at at sawinski 8 at J-A-K-E-S-A-W-I-N-S-K-I. If you had a vacation the last couple days, I'm sorry. I'm in the same boat as you. I got to go back to work. It's only a three-day work week, thank God. But have a good rest of your week and talk to you next time. Peace. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Jake, you're a dummy. You almost forgot. Next week's movie. A comedy this time. Airplane. It's a good one, I promise. It's on Netflix. Might be on Hulu too. Either or. For real this time. Peace.